What's going on, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And let's just hop right into it. We're in trade season. There was a big trade that was made a few days ago, or last night, and we have some fake trades to do later in the episode, but me and Ben were already kind of riffing on this before the show, so I'm just going to hop into it. The Pascal Siakam trade to the Indiana Pacers happened, and the Raptors in return got Bruce Brown, Jordan Uwara, Kira Lewis, and three first-round picks. Um, Ben, your first impressions of the deal. Um, you know, we have been going back and forth about this for, you know, 15, 20 minutes before we yeah. record. Um, I think it's about time the Toronto Raptors traded Pascal Siakam. And I think the fact that they traded him now with half a season left, basically, this was about as good as you were going to get for Pascal Siakam. Um, three first round picks that aren't going to be much. They're going to be picks in the late twenties. You get a guy in Bruce Brown, who's, you know, a winner. Um, but not like an excellent, excellent basketball player, just like a great sixth or seventh man. And then you get Jordan Nwora and Kira Lewis, who are not good basketball players. Um, you know, we are in agreement. If you traded Pascal last year, you would have gotten a much bigger haul if you knew he was going to walk away anyways. It is a little confusing that the Raptors waited this long to make this trade. Yeah, so I want to start there because... I've seen a lot of people giving Toronto like a C plus or a B plus. To me, this is like a D minus. Uh, and it's not because of the haul they've gotten back this time. Like, I think that's an okay haul. I think Bruce Brown's just a guy, me and you kind of disagree on who he is as a basketball player. I think when he's surrounded by excellent players, his qualities shine. But on Toronto, like, he's just a dude. And we saw with Indiana, like, how many times have we heard his name this year? Like, he's a good player, but he's just a good player. He's not he's not eye-popping, right? And Jordan Nwara, who fucking cares? And Kira Lewis, who fucking cares? And those three picks, I mean, you pair Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal Siakam together. Like, those picks are going to be in the low 20s every single time, right? So, I, I mean, those assets to me all seem like ass cheeks. So, the way I'm looking at this trade is last year... We had teams banging down the door at Toronto's doorstep, at basically willing to sell their entire team for guys like OG Ananobi, Fred Van Fleet, and Pascal Siakam. And for whatever reason, Masai Ujiri thought he was outsmarting the entire league by holding on to these guys and waiting until their contracts were up. Um, it looks like maybe he's not as smart as he thinks he is because I think they got diminished value on all three and they got no value for Fred Van Fleet. So if I'm a Raptors fan... I'm pretty discouraged and annoyed, honestly, after this, because I think we need to recognize Pascal Siakam's place in Raptors history. He is one of the best players they've ever had, and he just kind of walked out the door for, in my opinion, beans. And I don't think that's unfair to say. They absolutely should have traded Siakam last year. I like who they got for OG. I think RJ and Quickly fit this team, fit the timeline really well. Obviously, this is a massive jump backwards in terms of timeline. Scotty Barnes is now the dude for the Raptors, um, which I like. I honestly think that's great for them because they weren't yeah. going anywhere with Siakam and Scotty Barnes. Um, so, you know, for the most part, I'm going to say this is an L for the Raptors. This is a kind of bad move, not because I hate all the pieces, but because they should have done this last year, especially with Fred Van Fleet, man, letting him walk for nothing. I don't think he deserves 40-whatever million dollars, but you could have traded him and gotten something. 
Right. It's really confusing. Like, the teams like the Magic were really interested in Fred Van Fleet. The Rockets at the deadline were interested. The Lakers were really interested. The Clippers were really interested. You know, even if you're only getting back one first-round pick in salary, maybe that salary plays better for you than they did for their previous team, and maybe that first-round pick turns into something valuable in the future. But instead, they all just held off. Um, like you said, I like Scotty as the number one guy for this team. I don't think him and Pascal really ever meshed well because their skill sets are very similar. Um, and they overlap quite a bit. They're both big forwards who like the ball in their hands, who go diving towards the rim. And when you have two of those guys doing the same thing, a lot of the time that can just kind of lead to traffic in the paint. So I'm all for shipping off Pascal, the older player to kind of open up room for the new guard. I'm just a little annoyed at the value they got back. I still think it's a wise decision to get off of him. And I think in general, their haul is fine for what they got back for a player whose contract was expiring in the first place. But like I said earlier, they shouldn't have been in this position to begin with. So like I said, if I'm a Raptors fan, I don't really know how to feel this morning where it's you let go of an all NBA caliber guy just for a few who like few guys i don't know i mean despite the talent that has been on this team the past what four years it doesn't feel like there's a lot to be incredibly excited about when it comes to toronto basketball um you know we had two full seasons practically where everybody on the raptors was six foot eight um they were all the same lengthy weird forward and they just ran five of them at once and that wasn't fun to watch um you know Fred Van Fleet and Siakam, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, that's a lot of talent, but they weren't a good team. Um, I think it's been a while since Raptors fans are incredibly excited about the product they're getting, which for me makes this trade a good idea. It's time to shake something up. I do want to talk about the Indiana Pacers side because that's what I'm most excited about. Pascal Siakam playing next to the kind of transition passer that Tyrese Halliburton is, the kind of quick passer that Tyrese Halliburton is is going to make his life so easy. It's going to get him so many buckets in the paint. Uh, You know, I think a lot of disrespect has come Siakam's way, even though he's an all-NBA caliber forward. I think people are going to be reminded of that pretty quickly when he joins this team. Yeah, I agree. I think this is an A-plus for Indiana. I I really do. Um, I think Pascal's 29 years old. Um, and you're guaranteeing you're going to get him for the next four years because Woj has already reported that once the season's over, they'll be working on a a max contract together to keep Siakam in Indiana, and Siakam's very open to the idea of maybe even finishing his career in Indiana. So, like, if you're an Indiana fan, that's exactly what you want to hear after this trade is made. And also, like, you have a young and upcoming superstar in Tyrese Halliburton, and now you give him a second option to kind of relief some of the pressure on his back to create offense over and over and over again, and just a super complimentary player. Like they help each other so much with what they're good at. Um, It's kind of a perfect fit. And I'm super excited to see the first game they play together. I mean, this is a team who is the number one offense in basketball and has missed a really high quality forward the entire season. Aaron Neesmith is their starting wing. Um, So replacing him with Siakam is an unbelievable improvement. And the fact that you will, you gave up effectively a rotation player in Bruce Brown. It's it's an amazing trade for the Pacers. Absolutely. A plus. I think, I mean, just having Pascal as a second option, sometimes as the main option scoring, because Halliburton doesn't need to take 20 shots in a game. 
I think he's the sort of dude who's totally okay deferring to a guy like Siakam when he's hot. This is going to be even better offense from the Pacers, who are already the best offense in the NBA. Yeah, and I think you just made a really good point with the Aaron Neesmith thing, because when you trade away Bruce Brown, it feels like his natural replacement is already on the roster with Neesmith. Like, I feel like Neesmith is close to as good as Bruce Brown, if not exactly the same level of talent as Bruce Brown. So you're losing Bruce Brown his natural replacement is already on your roster. And then you bring in Pascal Siakam, who's 22, 6, and 5. And even though his three-point percentage is only at 32, his corner three-point percentage is at 42. So this is a guy where it's like, if he's not driving to the rim, put him in the corner, and he will catch and shoot at a good enough rate where Tyrese can just pepper out to the uh, the corners and have threes go in. It's... I can picture this master plan coming together that the Pacers have put together. And what I can also picture, we saw Pascal Siakam playing the five in spot minutes for like maybe 20 games last season. If you Mm -hmm. put him at the five and you run small ball with this Pacer lineup, that is three pointers all day. That is just unbelievable flow of offense. Absolutely. And I think a part of Siakam's game that really gets kind of unrecognized is how good of a passer he is. Um, This is a guy who gets his teammates open looks a lot, right? He's burying his head into the paint. And then at the last moment, he's spraying out to the perimeter for open looks at three. Is there a better team in the league to have that skill set on than the Indiana Pacers, where you have guys like Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, Ben Matherin, Aaron Neesmith? All of these guys are just going to get open opportunities, and they're already the best offensive uh, team in the entire league. I think this takes them to a new level as a playoff offense, right? Where like teams can key in on Halliburton, who's the next guy to step up. Now they have that guy in Siakam. Yeah, I'm gonna. I was gonna ask you, what does this do for Indiana as an overall unit? Yeah. Um, you know, I think if we're making a tier list, Milwaukee and Boston are at the top. Philly, Miami, Cleveland are the next three teams up. Does Indy yeah. put themselves into that tier? Yes, for sure. I think they're in the same tier as Cleveland. I think they're in the same tier as Miami. Um, Philly defense, may be a tier of its own. Yeah, Philly's in its in a tier of its own for yeah. sure. But in terms of like Miami and Cleveland, I think Indiana absolutely has thrown themselves into that conversation. And I do feel like they've leapfrogged a team like the Magic, where they're still young and they're defensive and gritty. With another all-NBA caliber player on your roster, you instantly leapfrog that team. I'm more, I want to ask you about the defense quickly, um, because as we're talking about the playoffs, right, we know we have, we know they have the offense to keep up with other teams. Do you think the addition of Pascal Siakam finally improves the defense that they've needed to improve so badly this season, or do you see it kind of staying relatively the same caliber? I mean, I think it'll probably stay, you know, mid-level. I don't think there's anything they could do to be a top 10 defense. But, you know, maybe with Siakam over Bruce Brown and Neesmith, maybe they go from where are they right now? 26th? Maybe they get up to like 18th, 19th. Um, Definitely they're not going to be one of the best defenses, even when the playoffs start. But the thing that I'm thinking of just matchup-wise, they've beaten the Milwaukee Bucks four times already this year with a worse unit than what they have right now. So if that's the matchup that happens in the playoffs, I'm not comfortable with that if I'm a Milwaukee fan. I'm with you. I think that series probably goes longer than it's supposed to if they end up matching up. Um, And I think, you know, 
we we're in an era of the NBA where the Nuggets have kind of unlocked a line of thinking where you don't need to be an absolute elite defense to win championships anymore. You just have to be a juggernaut on offense. If the Pacers can even get up to league average, this becomes a actual playoff threat. Maybe not this year, but sometime in the future. And I think with guys like Jarris Walker slowly being grown, you can throw him into the lineup hopefully soon. And Ben Matherin taking steps to grow as a player as well. Like I can kind of see a core starting to be built in Indiana and potentially like a, a decent playoff threat in the either this year or years to come. I mean, I think this year they're going to be a fun story. Uh, maybe they win a yeah. first round series. It depends on what their seeding is, but they're definitely going to be a team to watch out for for the future. Yeah. Do you think a first round series after this trade is plausible for them to win or like probable, or do you still feel like, Hey, this is really early for them. Maybe next year's when they climb that hump. You know what, man, with the amount of just clutter in the four to nine seed, four to eight seed, if they could snag that four seed, you never know. I think it's really possible. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same thinking. Uh, They kind of remind me of the Cavs actually, where they were, they have these expectations. They hit the road like really quickly And now it's kind of time for them to prove that it's real in the postseason. So, you know, obviously that didn't work out well for the Cavs. Maybe there's a different story to be written for the Pacers. But The story is Pascal's already done it. True. Very true. And it looks Tyrese has the type of game where you don't really have any questions if he can do it in the postseason or not, right? It's true. The ball just kind of freely moves. He's taking advantage of whatever teams give him, whether it's passing or scoring. That's, That's a play style that just works and it never gets taken advantage of i completely agree um there's a bunch of trade rumors there's nothing else major that's been going on recently but there's a bunch of trade rumors i kind of want to start with my favorite i have never heard a player as honest about being traded as Dejounte murray with the hawks yeah Uh, being asked about whether or not he'd want to go back to san antonio he said he would welcome it he would love it pop is like a father to him but you know at the moment i guess i'm part of the hawks so i'm staying around Um, that's a wild thing to say, but like just at face value, that trade would be perfect for both teams. I think the Hawks have kind of realized DeJounte Murray's not the dude we want next to Trey putting him back in San Antonio, giving them a real playmaker. I love that trade for both sides. Yeah. It's really weird to see how honest he was about that. Um, You never hear that. You never, ever hear that. Uh, he openly admitted, like you said, going back to the Spurs wouldn't be bad for him, and he would he would welcome it. Is yeah. what he said. I, like I've never seen that before. In terms of just fit, I think it's clear the Hawks are done with this experiment. Uh, the, the Dejounte Trey pairing hasn't been working the way they'd like it to. Trey Young, after having an abysmal start to the season, has been on a heater for the last like twenty games. Um, and Dejounte Murray, I just feel like is having a kind of an underrated season but because the Hawks continue losing no one really cares I think putting him on a team with Wembenyama who we have so desperately begged for to have competent guard play would be a match made in heaven so I would love this to actually happen yeah I think the Hawks just expected DeJounte Murray's production to lead to more success I think if you had told them that he was going to be putting up 21-5-5 and on really good shooting splits from the field and from three, they would have thought yeah. the team was going to be a lot better than they actually are. Because those right. are pretty good numbers for DeJounte. Um, you're right, man. Putting him back in San Antonio, giving Wemby a guy who knows to pass the ball to him consistently, 
that would be awesome. A defensive-minded point guard who's not short like Trey Jones would be awesome. Um, DeJounte Murray's the kind of dude who would absolutely fit that timeline. He is 27. He's a little bit on the older side compared to Wemby, but I think keeping him around Wemby would be a great, great thing. Yeah, and I think the idea of like bridge players is really interesting as well. And I think DeJounte Murray would be a great example of that, where like it can kind of show Wembenyama how to be a professional, give him competent guard play for years to come to help him grow his game. Um, here's a little trade I just put together. You let me know if this is enough to get the deal done in your eyes, or which team says no. DeJounte Murray heads to the Spurs, and the Hawks get Keldon Johnson, and they get back their first-round pick in 2025 that they've already traded to the Spurs. That's interesting. That's interesting. I think the Spurs want to keep Keldon Johnson, but I do think the Hawks would really want that player. I really think that, you know, with all of the injuries that they deal with, with all of the forwards on their team, a guy like Keldon Johnson would be a great addition. But would the Spurs give him up? I think they would. I think everyone on that roster is basically viewed as just a time slot, like how long until they're done with their contract so we can move off of them. That's kind of how I view the entire Spurs roster at this point. Um, So I think to get a DeJounte Murray caliber player who's like sniffing an all-star game and could give a, a stability at the guard spot, I think they would do that in a heartbeat, and I think it would also be better for the Hawks to get some more wing help around Trey and to get one of those picks back um, that they so willingly just gave up for the DeJounte Murray trade in the first place, I think would be very helpful for both teams, actually. I I would love to see that go down. If you're Atlanta, you don't need to get another guard back. You've got plenty of guards on the team already. I mean, you've got our favorite guy, Kobe Bufkin, has been Mm -hmm. in the doghouse the entire season. Um I think he's a baller, man. I think he's a legit player. I think he'd be productive if you put him in the NBA. Uh, AJ Griffin is another dude who's only playing eight minutes a game. Patty Mills is on this team. There's definitely like way too many guards in Atlanta. Um, Getting Keldon Johnson might be a great move for them. Yeah, that's one I really, really like. Um, Another one that we've heard name for months would be Zach Levine. And this is a little trade that I made. Well, first, what are some destinations that instantly pop to your head when you hear Zach Levine? Because we've heard rumors about how low his trade market actually is, where like teams aren't even willing to throw in a first round pick. Um, so like, what are your ideas on Levine and where he ends up? He has become like the ultimate all stats, no impact kind of guy in the way that he's viewed. I don't know if he's actually like that as a player, but it feels like everybody views him that way. Um, The name, I mean, the team that I keep hearing is just the Lakers. Over and over and over again, the Lakers are going to get Zach Levine and they're going to trade Max Christie and, you know, Demoy Haji and a couple of the second round pick or whatever. Lakers fans are always delusional about the trade package. But I do think him going to L.A. seems like a thing that's very likely. Yeah, uh, it's weird because it feels like such a good landing spot for him, but all all the reports that I've read basically say that the Lakers refuse to trade for Zach Levine. So it's like, even though I think it's a perfect fit, they have no interest in doing so. Uh, the package would kind of be centered around Zach Levine goes to the Lakers for D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, uh, Torian Prince, and a first-round pick. Who do you think is leading the charge that says we don't want Levine in L.A.? Do you think that's Darvin Ham, LeBron, or the GMs? 
It's Rob Palinka, the GM, for sure. I think he's all done with LeBron getting clutch clients to LA and then fucking up the roster and the draft capital that they've stored. I think he's all set with that. So I've crafted a trade that I actually think may happen for Zach Levine, and then you just give me your idea uh, how likely it is to happen or who says no, okay? Mm-hmm. So the Zach Levine trade goes, he goes to the New York Knicks, and in return, the Bulls get Evan Fournier, Mitchell Robinson, and two first-round picks. Now, let me explain the two first-round picks quickly. Mitchell Robinson is out for the season. They, He has a knee injury. He gets hurt all the time. Evan Fournier hasn't played an NBA minute in two years. So basically, this is a trade for picks. It's Zach Levine for two first-round picks, and then that's it. Um, for the Knicks' point of view, I think the OG trade has been a slam dunk for their perspective. Not having to give away any picks in that deal allows them to do something like this. And a lineup that features Jalen Brunson, Zach Levine, OG Ananobi, Julius Randle, and Isaiah Hartenstein, that's like an actual legitimate lineup where you have four options on offense that can get you a good look. Um, I don't know. I like that lineup. I don't know if you like that deal as much as I do, but what are your thoughts? I don't think it's a bad deal, man. Because in terms of players, you are getting two guys who aren't playing. Evan Fournier, what has happened with him? Is it a case of Tom Thibodeau just being an asshole to this guy? Or is he really just not a basketball player anymore? I have no idea. I do think he should be freed. Um, Losing Mitchell Robinson would definitely be tough for the Knicks. Hartenstein is an excellent backup. But when he's your starter, I think that's a little bit questionable. And then what's the... Who's the backup? Is that Jericho Sims? Um, I think that puts a hole in kind of the center yeah. spot for the Knicks. Precious Achua. True, true. Okay. Right? So th- that's why Mitchell Robinson's available as well, in my eyes, is mm. Achua's been playing well for uh, Thibodeau, and Hartenstein's having the fucking year of his career right now. So mm-hmm. the center spot has kind of figured itself out. Mitchell Robinson really is just a contract to them for this year. If you have Brunson under contract, Randall, Levine, and OG all under contract going forward for the next four years, like, you know, let's say Tatum, you know, knock on wood, Tatum, you know, breaks his foot and he's out for a season, or Giannis, you know, tears a bicep and is that, you know what I mean? And then you have that lineup, you become closer to actually doing something. Yeah, I mean, Evan Fournier and Mitchell Robinson, that's $34 million with those two contracts combined. Do you think Zach Levine fits a Tom Thibodeau coached offense and a coach system? I think he's perfect there, honestly, which is weird. Um, I think having the defense around him that they do, which is OG playing at all defense levels, unquestionably. Hartenstein playing very well at that spot. Randall, when he gives a shit, is a good defender. It's just not very often does he give a shit. I think having that level of shooting added to that team could really help them in a playoff series because I do think that is kind of their fatal flaw up to this point. So I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. I think that trade's a lot more likely than the trade to L.A. Um, yeah. I think, honestly, the most likely thing is the Bulls are going to do nothing, which is a little boring, but like the amount of almost trades they could have had if they just shipped Caruso... He's mm. another guy who absolutely should be moved and you should get a first round pick back and then some uh, because a championship caliber team is going to want him. They've been trying to get him for years. The Bulls yeah. are kind of done holding on to whatever they were when Lonzo was healthy. The interesting thing, though, is the Bulls have won recently, like since Levine got hurt. 
They so looked fun, man. There was a he, lot more energy in that building. And, you know, reports have come out that it literally is Levine that they hate. The locker room hates Levine. So I don't know if they're going to keep him. I think they'd rather get pennies on the dollar than keep him in the locker room, which is a tough spot to be in. That is a tough spot to be in. I want to talk about a kind of similar situation. The Utah Jazz are 11-3 and in their mm. last 14 games, and Lowry yeah. Markkinen is on the trade block. I think, you know, this is Danny Ainge. They yeah. are not going to be a team that wins anything important this year. So why not try to see what kind of value you could get for Lowry Markkinen? What are the odds, first of all, in your head that Lowry gets traded? Zero. Yeah. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think when we saw that report that the Jazz are opening, open to listening, you know, all of our ears kind of perked up. And then the report changed to you would need a Rudy Gobert type haul to get Laurie Markkinen. Then you're kind of showing your hand a little bit if you're the Jazz, where it's like, don't really call us. Like, we're not really going to give you this guy. Uh, and it seems like the only guy who, only team that really has the assets to do anything about it would be the Thunder. And I don't think the Thunder are looking to make massive changes. So I don't think Laurie's going anywhere. But I texted you about this a little bit a few weeks ago. It does feel kind of sad that he's not on a team that's competing just because I feel like he is the caliber of player to swing a championship run. Uh, so for me, I'm a little frustrated, but I don't really think he's going anywhere. I think you're probably right. I mean, that is, that's a Danny Ainge move. Jalen Brown was on the trade block for years. Marcus Smart was on the trade block for years. Pick a long-term Celtic and they were on the trade block. They were listening. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, is there, you know, maybe there's a team that could send a haul. We had a conversation about Golden State. I don't think the package they would put together would be good enough for Danny Ainge. I don't think they have enough draft assets. Um, but, you know, what are some teams that you think would do anything in their power to try to get him? It would be the Warriors. That would be my team where it's like him and Curry on the floor at the same time would just be so stupid and impossible to stop. Like two of the most efficient players in NBA history. And I know it's kind of funny to put Laurie in that conversation, but just but that's what the numbers are saying. And that if is. you watch it, yeah. that's what it looks like. So I, I would be really really happy if that trade actually happened um but i i really don't think it's going to which is so annoying it is so annoying uh is there another trade rumor you want to talk about not a trade rumor but just fake trades yeah yeah, Um, the denver nuggets you're a big fan of this team i have become a big fan of this team just watching on a uh ever so nightly basis right i feel like something they need is just a little bit more bench scoring. I I drove the Peyton Watson train, and I, I said he was just going to become the new Jeff Green. And honestly, he has. Like, he's played very well. He has taken up Jeff Green's minutes and done a great job in that spot. Christian Brown is not really an offensive pop-type player. We saw in the finals he had a 25-point game or whatever it was, but he's really a point-of-attack, energy, rebound, hustle-type player. Yes, who is the guy coming off the bench that's giving them the pop? Now, I know Reggie Jackson's having a decent year, but is there a better option for that? Like, could they add a guy like Jordan Clarkson? Like, is that a guy that they could actually put on the roster? I've tried to make that deal happen. It's really hard to make that deal happen. Um, but is there is that something you see them making a move for? Or is that something that Reggie Jackson, we trust this guy, that's why we re-signed him in the offseason, um, 
do you have any feelings towards that the reggie jackson play is so interesting to me because it's absolutely a disconnect between the gm and the head coach um we saw calvin booth very excited to bring this man onto the team and then he wasn't played in the playoffs and mike malone had absolutely no interest in giving this guy minutes and then they extended him after that so i've, I've not really understood what reggie's doing on the team um but he does provide some of that spark I, this is always a team that wins through its starting five. If Jokic and Jamal Murray, basically them two are not enough to get it done, they're not winning the game. And typically yeah. those two are enough to get it done. Is there any world where they could pry Bruce Brown back from Toronto's hands and get him back on their team? It's, a, it's an awesome question. The salaries are tough, dude. Yeah. Because it really is that starting five, which is the best lineup in the league by the numbers, right? Every time those five guys are healthy, they blow out their opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue is once you go to the bench, everyone's getting paid $5 million or under. And they just don't want to route their roster. That's the issue. They don't want to have to give up Reggie Jackson, Christian Brown, Julian Strother, and Peyton Watson just for Bruce Brown. Right. That wouldn't be worth it. Right. So the Nuggets are in this weird spot where I do see a hole that they can fill to kind of get them back to championship favorite type status, but they don't really have the contract. So I just wanted to bring that up to you quickly, just because I feel like that's something they may explore. Here's a trade that I made that involves my Cleveland Cavaliers and a team that's really been struggling this year. The Cavs get Andrew Wiggins and a 2025 first-round pick, and a 2027 first-round pick for Jared Allen. Um, The Golden State Warriors, they get a center that they desperately need. Kavon Looney's knees are cooked. Dario Sarge does not count as a center. Um, Jared Allen, he has averaged 20 and 13 and 4 over this winning streak. That is an all-star caliber big man. If you put him... On the Warriors, I feel like it legitimizes their defense once again. It gives Steph Curry a legitimate pick-and-roll partner other than Kavon Looney, who can't score in any regard and is not an alley-oop threat. I think that really legitimizes the Golden State. And if you're the Cavs, no more double-big experiment. You put Andrew Wiggins at the four, and you get some assets coming over from Golden State. I would love this to happen. I would sign the, like I would sign the deal tomorrow if it was brought to me if I was Kobe Altman. What are your feelings on that deal? I think if you did that trade in 2K, both of those teams would look excellent. But we got to remember that Andrew Wiggins does not always play basketball like his heart, like his life depends on it. Like he's, you know, a professional. Um, He is very much like a, I'm taking games off in the regular season. Before he joined Golden State, man, I've seen more energy. We've seen more energy from him in Golden State than we saw in Minnesota. (laughs) Um, Is there a worry about he comes to the Cavs and now he's in Cleveland and he has even less media pressure, really less eyes on him in general, and now he's back to the, I'm going to give you 17 points, take it or leave it? Yes, there's a massive worry about that, and I think that's why the Warriors accept the deal immediately, because he's already doing that to them. That's true. Right, so you're basically trading Jared Allen at his peak value for Andrew Wiggins' sliding value, and the bet you're making if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers is the situation over there in the in Golden State is not where he can flourish. We give him more spacing with Dave, uh, Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And then we have Evan Mobley making passes out to the perimeter. And these two first-round picks we get could really be valuable if Steph Curry falls off a cliff one day. 
you know, if 2027, his talent just shits the bed, he's too old to play well, you know, are you a playoff team with a chance at the number one pick if you're the Cavs? So I really like this deal. I don't know if Jared Allen's actually going to be on the move. It seems like the Cavs are steadfast in keeping their core four together for this year, which is annoying. But it is what it is. I thought it was a good fit for both teams. I think that's a great fit for both teams. I didn't realize Wiggins is only scoring 12 points per game this year. Um, Worst season of his career. Big time, in a, in a massive way. Um, yeah, if you put him in a new situation, maybe that's what he needs. Maybe this is enough time in Golden State. you got a chip. Now it's time to find a new landing spot. I like yeah, that. Here's, an, here's another one for you. So the Kings just missed out on the Pascal Siakam sweepstakes. It seems like maybe the Raptors wanted Keegan Murray and they just would not move off that deal. So the Kings said, go fuck yourself. So this is the trade that they make instead to kind of vault themselves into a more serious position in the Western Conference. The Kings trade for Jeremy Grant. And in exchange, they give away Harrison Barnes, Trey Lyles, and two unprotected first-round picks to the Trailblazers. That's beans. I love that. Um, Harrison Barnes is a weird one, man. For the amount of time, for the amount of years that he's been in the trade block, his value has just gotten worse and worse and worse. Um, You know, he's 31 now. He's a great... What is he great at? I'm sorry. I don't know how to finish that sentence. Uh, He would be great on a team that (laughs) doesn't Portland. Basically, he would be great if no one had to watch him. Exactly, and that's Portland. Yeah, yeah. I just think I think the Kings really missed their opportunity to become more serious. Yeah. With the Siakam thing, like I, you know, they're a fun team. They're going to score a lot of points, but I'm never going to take them seriously as a playoff contender. Um, I think they do need to address that wing spot desperately. I think OG and Siakam were perfect fits for them, and they missed out on both. I think this is like the next best option. Yeah, I mean, seeing how gettable OG and Anobi was, they definitely missed out by not going for it. Um, yeah, I like Jeremy Grant coming to the Kings. I think that's a great move. Portland, it's kind of like, what is he doing on this team? Um, yeah, doesn't fit the timeline. Doesn't really fit anything. Um, he was no. on the team because Dame was on the team. Um, moving him to Sacramento that gives them more offense. He's fun. He's lengthy on defense. We saw him and Jokic right. worked out together when he was the four out in Denver. Maybe that's the yeah. kind of situation that helps fix a lot of Sacramento's defensive problems. Right, and having Keegan Murray and Jeremy Grant as a wing duo is pretty respectable. Yeah, and then you have you have a lineup that you can play in playoff basketball with De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, Keegan Murray, Jeremy Grant, and Sabonis. Like that, again, that is a awesome, awesome lineup where you just have options galore on how to put the bucket in the hole. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Here's a massive one. The Lakers trade D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, Gabe Vincent, and that coveted 2029 first-round pick, unprotected, to the Charlotte Hornets for Gordon Hayward and Miles Bridges. Interesting. I would have thought you were going Terry Rozier. Mm. I think Terry Rozier is a lot more gettable, but that's it's interesting, man. Miles Bridges, can he survive the media of the LA Lakers? Unfortunately, we hate him on this podcast, but he has played very well this year. Right. And there's an interesting connection here where he is a clutch client, right? LeBron's agency company. 
you bring him to Los Angeles, you get him on a discount because of the baggage that comes with him in the media. You're not going to have to pay him $35 million a year, even though he's playing that way. You're going to get to pay him $20 million a year, and you're going to love that deal. And then Gordon Hayward, you know, playmaking at the wing, three-point shooting at the wing, self-creation at the wing is never a bad idea to put next to LeBron. And D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura, I think they're very comfortable getting off those contracts. And Gabe Vincent hasn't played a fucking second for them. So in a weird way, you're getting, you're giving Portland, uh, excuse me, Charlotte that 2029 unprotected first round pick just for that, just for those two players. It's just the pick for the two players. Yeah, I mean that is what that is. And does Charlotte accept that? Maybe, maybe. Um, I think Terry Rozier is probably the guy who will realistically be gone by the trade deadline this year. Um, yeah. He's been doing his thing. I mean, Terry Rozier, he's hes all offense, but he does his thing every single year. You want yeah. a guy who can catch and shoot threes incredibly effectively, he's doing that every single year. I don't know how to feel about the Miles Bridges and Gordon Hayward idea. Um, I think those wings would definitely be nice in Los Angeles, but that puts a yeah. big, big hole in their guard situation you're putting even more minutes on cam reddish's shoulders and then who is the point guard that comes in and fills those that spot for d'lo austin reeves yeah who's been better as a bench guy. it would kind of just be lebron you're running possessions austin reeves you're running possessions gordon hayward you're taking the ball up every once in a while mm. And we're just going to do this by committee. We're not having anyone set up anything, be a primary ball handler. It's just going to be ball handler by committee for the rest of the season. That's not bad. Do you think taking out one of those wings and subbing in Terry Rozier, is there a deal that works around that? Which wing would you have to get rid of? It would be Gordon Hayward because he's he's 32 million. Mm. So, you know, maybe you hold on to Gabe Vincent and then trade Rui and D'Angelo Russell. There is some maneuvering you can do for sure. I actually have a Terry Rozier trade ready for you as well. Let's hear it. Because I do feel like the Hornets are going to be kind of a yard sale for championship-level teams to go grab good players off of. Mm -hmm. Um, Terry Rozier gets traded to the Miami Heat for Kyle Lowry and an unprotected first-round pick in 2025. Or 2028, excuse me. I love that. Kyle Lowry... I'm I'm not sure how he has continued to play for the Heat. Um, that's an old man. That's a man that does not need to be a major player on your team anymore. They got this 37 year old playing 28 minutes a game, eight it's points awful. a game. They definitely need to replace him. Subbing in eight and a half points a game for Terry Rozier's 24 points a game mm-hmm. brings a big boost to Miami's offense. Man, I, yep. I like that. Yeah, and I think it's relatively reasonable as well. Like, I think the Hornets, they kind of realize, hey, you know, Terry's a little bit too good for who we are as a team right now. Um, You get Kyle Lowry, you buy him out, and Kyle gets to sign on with a championship team. Who knows? It might even be the Heat, right? (laughs) So, like, the Heat, you give up one first-round pick for Terry Rozier. He hops on your squad. He's giving you 20 points off the bench. Um, I think that instantly makes them higher up in the East as a contender, for sure. I like that move, man. I really do. Terry Rozier is the kind of guy where I'm trying to shop other names or other places that he could go. I feel like Orlando could use a guy with his skill set, but I don't know where those minutes come from. 
Exactly. Yeah. I've had a lot of issues with Orlando because it seems like they're confident in their guard rotation, but they shouldn't be, right? Like, I think they desperately need an upgrade over there, but they're not going to move Anthony Black. They're not going to move uh, Jalen Suggs. They could move Markel Fultz, and they should move Cole Anthony, but I don't think they're going to. So Orlando's a spot that would love Terry Rozier, um, but I just don't know how to get him there uh, because of how the team views their guard rotation. Markel Fultz is an interesting name, man. I think he could be a guy that could be sent back to Charlotte. Yeah, I have a guy. I have a trade right here for you. Luke Kennard to the Magic for Markel Fultz and a 2024 first-round pick. We all know this year's draft is historically bad. The Orlando Magic, they're overachieving anyway. Their pick's going to be probably in the high teens. You just send that pick over to the Grizzlies, who are having a down year, need to get off Kennard's salary. You send Markel Fultz there, who doesn't fit your team anyway. You add some shooting. Maybe you become more legitimate as a three-point shooting team. Um, What's the difference between Luke Kennard and Gary Harris, who's already on the team? You just need more. Mm. You just need more shooting. That's the issue. That's true. You just need. You just c- continue getting guys who can shoot on the roster because Markel Fultz attempting point one three point uh, shots a game right. does nothing right. for you. And he's on the court too. Like he was on the court last night for them. That does not help them. You're right. Um. So, I don't think they're going to move him. I think they should. I think they need to target guys like Terry Rozier or Luke Kennard or whoever the fuck, Malcolm Brogdon even, I think would be a wonderful fit for this team. But I don't see them doing that, unfortunately. It's hard to have a Orlando Magic talk without going and looking at the stats and seeing Jet Howard's played 36 NBA minutes so far in his career. <laughs> yeah. What a flub, man. What a what an awful pick by them when they could have had Jordan Hawkins. Yeah. Really bad. Really fucking bad. And I've brought up on the podcast a hundred times and like what their goals should be at the trade deadline is just get shooting and shooting. It's not as easy as I'd like it to be to go find those dudes to go bring them to your team. No. Um, here's another one that we talked slightly before uh, podcast, but it's Bruce Brown to the 76ers for Marcus Morris Sr., Furkan Korkmaz, and t- a first round pick and a second round pick to Toronto. So my line of thinking is just the 76ers get another guy who's legitimately good at basketball. Marcus Morris and Furkan Korkmaz contracts are expiring. So that money's off their books anyway in the summertime. And they get a few assets in return for Bruce Brown instead of just denying Bruce Brown's team option in the summertime. I think that's good. I think getting something back in terms of the picks for Bruce Brown is great. Um, Furkan Korkmaz, Marcus Morris Sr., two players I don't care about at all. Yeah, um, but getting two picks back for Bruce Brown when ultimately, if they don't, I think it's just very likely they just deny his team option next year. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Here's another Cavs one for you. I went crazy on the trade machine. If you guys can't tell, I was just sitting on my computer board as hell during class the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared Allen to the Thunder, who I've talked to you about a million times. I just think it's the perfect fit. For Davis Bertans, Isaiah Joe, and a 2025 first-round pick. Interesting. My line of thinking is Davis Bertans is kind of viewed as like a horrible contract throughout the entire league. He's getting paid $17 million a year for the next two years. You get off that deal if you're OKC. Isaiah Joe is kind of the prize of the deal. He He is a legitimate sharpshooter, okay? 
The issue with the OKC Thunder, though, is not their shooting. It's how skinny they are and how bad they are at rebounding. I think Jared Allen fixes that for them. And I don't think he expects 35 minutes a night. I don't think he would be mad if he played 26 to 28 minutes a night to relieve Chet of being bullied by some of the bigger players out there. Um, And who knows, maybe they figure out a lineup where both of them can be out on the court at the same time because Chet's skill set is so different from Mobley's. Um, So I think it's kind of a win-win. I think it's more in the favor of the Cavs, but I still think it really works out for OKC. Isaiah Joe to the Cavs would be awesome, man. Yeah, I'm trying to think about how, you know, the the three-point shooting in OKC is very good right now, but it's all, every single player is on low volume. Uh, yeah. Isaiah Joe's taking five threes a game. The next guy up's Lou Dort at 4.6. Somehow he's shooting 43% from three. That is not his game. Uh, yeah. Is that the new Lou Dort, or are we seeing regression <laughs> to the mean and he's going to come back down to like 38%? Um, I don't know, man. That's I mean, Jared Allen, a big body who can get rebounds, that is going to be the Achilles heel for the Thunder, is the fact that they yeah. don't have a big body who could just get in there and end the possession. The amount of second chance points they give up. I think they're 30th on defense in terms of offensive, 29th in the NBA in offensive rebounds given up. Um, you know, a guy like Jared Allen shuts that down immediately. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird because the OKC Thunder are dominating teams. They're fourth in defense, sixth in offense right now. But I'm still choosing against them in basically any playoff series against the Lakers, Minnesota, the Nuggets. Like, I just don't think they can match up just because there's such a size difference between the teams. It kind of reminds me of the Warriors a little bit, where the Warriors of last year, they played well at home and they have Steph Curry, but it didn't matter to me because of how tiny they were. And we saw how that played out against the Lakers. Like, the Lakers kind of bodied them in embarrassing fashion. So I desperately think that the OKC Thunder need to address that spot. Another name me and you have mentioned is just Andre Drummond, who's on a one-year deal, super, super cheap. I mean, you could you could just give up a guy like Aaron Wiggins and just send over a first-round pick to Chicago, and they would accept that immediately, right? Because Chicago's just an asset collection mode, and Andre Drummond's a bench big for them. So I, I don't I think you can go that route as well if you don't want to kind of shake up your roster a little bit. I think with that's the what Jared they, Allen trade. I think that's what I would do if I'm OKC. Jared Allen is yeah. undeniably the better player. But if you legitimately just need rebounding and that's the only skill you're after, bringing Andre Drummond off the bench to get 12 boards a game, absolutely something he can do. And it doesn't yeah, cost you too much. It costs you virtually nothing. Yeah. It costs you virtually nothing. I mean, you like I said, Aaron Wiggins and two second-round picks or Aaron Wiggins and one first-round pick would be enough to move the needle to get a guy like Drummond. So if, if you want to make a minimal move that can still help you as a playoff team, that is that is the answer. Yeah, I um, think you're right, man. My worry with Jared Allen is I don't know if this is that valid, but I feel like having him in your lineup kind of slows the pace down a little bit. Definitely the Cleveland Cavs play at a slower pace. And OKC is one of the highest volume transition scoring teams in the league. Um, Obviously, that's the sort of thing where like it almost doesn't even bode well to be that. Because when the playoffs start, you lose so much of that transition. And if that's your punch, you're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Um, But I worry about like how would that trade kind of shake up what's going on there? Maybe it wouldn't, man. Maybe it is a trade that just really benefits the Thunder. 
Yeah, and I think they need to do something if they want to win a title this year. Now, if they're just treating this year as an experimentation and, you know, it's Chet's first year playing, it's Jalen Williams' second year, like, we have Shea under contract, there's no need to rush anything, that's fine. But if they want to legitimately compete in the West and try to win a championship as soon as this year, which I think isn't as far as away as it should be considering how young they are, Mm They need they need to make a move at that spot at the big man spot someone who's just a little bit more robust that can take some beating in the uh, in the paint. I think you're right, and I think this is just one of those times where everybody knows how the story's going to end, but they're just going to have to see it through. Um, that's kind of how I feel about when we watched the double big man experiment and the Cavs and the double six footers. I'm like, it's only so long that this experiment can continue. I mean, you're kind of feeling that way now. Um, yeah. You know, Kobe Altman doesn't seem to have gotten the message yet. Um, no. Maybe one more playoff loss will do it. I don't know, man. And, and that's a team, that's a thing we should do to close out this episode is just view teams that should be sellers or should be buyers, but might not be either one. Yeah. Um, or like need a definite answer to those questions. Yes. Like the Bulls. Like, I think they're going to be sellers just in the aspect of getting Levine, but I think they should be upheaving more assets, but I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to either, man. But I think trading Caruso is a thing you should have done two seasons ago. Yes. Um, I think you could get a lot of assets. Maybe DeMar DeRozan could find his way on a new team. Why not just clear house full fire sale? DeMar DeRozan is having a very good year, averaging 22 points, four rebounds, and five assists. And... He's shooting the most threes he ever has in his entire career. And he's you're just going to let him walk for free just because your team's overperforming as the ninth seed? Like, that feels silly to me. Get something back for him. There's got to be a team out there that needs some more half-court creation. Um, I don't know. They're just not. But they won't do it. I think they're going to hang on. They're going to they're gonna be buyers or semi-buyers by keeping their team intact. I have a team that I think should be a buyer, but I don't think isn't, is going to make a move. The new Orleans Pelicans should be better than the five seed. They should be better than 25 and 17. They have $102 million paid just to CJ Zion and BI. So it is hard to retool, but you know, 10 and a half million dollars to Larry Nance. That's something that could be pretty easily moved. Dyson Daniels at 6 million. Maybe you could package those two together and get something. Mm. Um, this is a team that absolutely should be aiming higher than where they are right now. That's interesting. <sighs> See, I couldn't move on from Daniels like that. That's the issue. But tell me if you disagree just about where the team's at. I, honestly, I, I do. I think they should be better than they are. But I view it more as a Zion problem than a Pelicans problem. You know, we're slowly seeing Zion's seasons just decrease. Like, last year, he was at, what, 27 points per game at 61%. Now he's at 22 points. Like, he's not even the same guy. I used to brag about how fucking good he was and how he was a top eight player when he was healthy. Like, I don't feel that way at all anymore. Um, I think that's kind of the internal issue they're dealing with rather than, you know, we need to go get better. No, we need Zion to lose weight. That's what we need. Yeah, I mean, it was working really well when CJ was sitting around, like, what was he, like 11, 10 shots a game? But he's at 15 now. You want those shots going to Zion. But he's just, something about he's not in good enough shape. He's not not efficient enough is the problem. Right. He doesn't look the same playing either. Like, there was some explosion in those games he played last year where 
my mouth was on the floor. Yeah. Like, I just couldn't believe how he w- would rise up and just destroy anyone that was in his path. doesn't feel like he's doing that, doing that this year, or at least to the same level. No. And it's kind of made me uninterested in them as a franchise as a whole. Like, I, I think they should just stay put and try to have him lose weight, which is a weird thing to say, but it's true. I think, you know, it's to me, it's a little noteworthy when you look at the, the Pelicans, you look at their on-off numbers. Jordan Hawkins, the team is nine points worse with him on the floor than they are with him off the floor. It's the worst out of anybody who's playing any legitimate minutes on the Pelicans by a pretty large amount. Um, and that's interesting to me, man. I really wouldn't have thought that. Obviously, he's a guy who's all three-point attempts and really nothing else. Yeah, but a minus yeah. nine in 816 minutes, to me, that's significant. Yeah, that is a little weird. Uh, the The only thing with the Pelicans that's a little strange, they do miss, a lot of their players do miss time. So, like, they just slot him in and say, fix our issues for us when someone gets hurt. Mm. So I'm going to try to give him an excuse there. But, yeah, that is that is a pretty weird stat. Trey Murphy's only at 18 games played this year. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. definitely a fair point. Trey Murphy's one of those guys who's doing a lot of the same role, just in a bigger body. Yeah. I think that's CJ. Fair. CJ lost a ton of time this year to some injuries as well. So yeah, this team, that team's always going to be plagued by something. Um, I do want to talk about my caps for a little bit, just because I do think they should be sellers, uh, even though they will not be. I mentioned it briefly in passing earlier in the episode. This team's on a fucking roll right now. They are fucking destroying people. And it's so confusing watching because it's like such a clear answer has been shown to us where there just needs to be a clear identified shot taker and a a hierarchy added to the squad, right? Where it's like, okay, Donovan Mitchell's taking 30 shots a game. Perfect. Jared Allen's going to take 12. And then the rest of you stand in the corners and we'll figure out what we can get you. And it's working beautifully. And I just think once Darius Garland and Evan Mobley come back, it's just going to be ass. Like, I really do. I I have no faith in this lineup. I'm completely done with it uh, because I've seen how great it is without the fucking spacing issues. Yeah. And I I just know J.B. Bickerstaff's going to play all four of them 35 minutes together. Don't even stagger them a bit. And then we're going to have Isaac Okoro playing more minutes than he has to, even though he's played okay this season. Yeah. Like, we have guys like Sam Merrill, who's better than him. And, you know, we need to play him more uh max truce more Karis Levert's had a weird year so i don't know i'm just really nervous for my guys to come back and i think a part of the way to solve that is just get rid of jared allen when he's playing the best best basketball of his entire career and sell on donovan mitchell before he forces his way to new york or miami one year from now so i wanna i yeah i gotta start this by giving myself a little pat on the back because i've been saying this for a year and a half at this point um, yep. Since Donovan Mitchell joined the team, as fun as it is, they're two short guards and two non-spacing seven-footers. It's weird. Um, I'm I'm a little bit worried, man, because I, I I don't think anything's going to happen. I don't think any moves are going to be made. No. Jared Allen's value is so high, and if we get into another <laughs> playoff series like we had against the Knicks, like that just shoots his value right back down into the dumps, and you're not going to be able yep. to get anything for him like what you could get for him if you traded him right now. Um, right. And honestly... Two six-footers and Evan Mobley, I don't think that looks terrible. Obviously, the defense is going to be bad, but the three-pointers you're going to be able to get up. I think the Cavs are still going to look like a good team, and then you deal with Donovan Mitchell in the offseason. I I would like that move, but it's just like, I think we've named the teams that could go after Jared Allen. There's two or three of them. 
And if they're not making that move, I don't think the Cavs are going out of their way to say, please, anybody, take Jared Allen. Exactly. And this is some statistics for you guys. Uh, Since Garland and Mobley sustained their injuries, the Cavs have the fifth best offense, the fifth best defense. They average the third most rebounds in the league, the fourth most assists in the league, and they they shoot the most three-pointers in a game in the entire league. That's crazy. I, I, it literally leaves me speechless because it's it confirms the eye test. When you're watching this team, they just bomb away, and you're like, holy shit. Like, Max Struess is shooting from 30 feet. Sam Merrill's shooting seven threes a game. Like, he's on a $1 million contract. But that's what they should have been doing the entire time, having one center and then a guard who's just dynamic playing offense and creating shots for himself and for others. But they just have too much overlap. And you absolutely, you deserve a pat on the back. You've been talking about this since the trade was made. I always thought the two short guards were going to be the issue, not the two big men. I think it's the inverse. I think Mitchell and Garland will probably be fine together. It's the Allen-Mobley pairing where there is two players on the court that shoot sub-20% from three at the same time. I don't care how good you are at defense, rebounding, passing. I do not care. It doesn't work in today's NBA. My kind of my question here, Jared Allen is like the perfect five. If you're drafting up what you need from a center and you want him to do just this and no else, Jared Allen is like the ultimate picture of that. Evan yep. Mobley has a higher ceiling as a player, but yeah. it's a little more awkward trying to game plan around Evan Mobley. You yes. could get a better package for him if you traded him. Do you think there's yeah. any chance that Kobe Altman would listen to a deal for Evan Mobley if it was good enough? No, but I thought the same thing recently, Ben. With how well Jared Allen has been playing, you don't have to worry about Mobley or Allen ever developing a jump in, a jumper because it's just not going to happen. Right. We know who this guy is. There's no controversy. There's no you know, confusion on who he is or what he's trying to be. There's never going to be a game this... where you're like, he should have taken six more shots. Why didn't he shoot? Exactly. And, you know, even though Mobley's ceiling as a defender is literally, like, Hall of Fame level, yeah. if he doesn't figure out his offense, like, even what Allen's doing, just being a hard screener and rolling to the rim and catching oops, like, if Mobley can't get to that level, there's always going to be a little bit of awkwardness on offense there. So it's, it is kind of a weird thing where Allen, you know exactly what he is, and exactly what he is is working very, very well. Yes. Mobley, we don't know what he is. He could be fucking Tim Duncan, or he could just be Jaron Jackson Jr., but worse. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, is that question, if you're banking on that question as Kobe Altman, and it turns out worse, and you ship off Jared Allen, then you feel pretty stupid. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's it's really, really interesting, because Evan Mobley is clearly the better defender, um, yeah. and clearly, like, offensively has the tools to be so much more effective than Jared Allen. But when you know your role as well as Jared Allen knows his role and you play it to perfection like that, it's hard to say like, now nah, we should probably ship you and keep the, the guy with the question marks. Um, right. <laughs> Evan Mobley's awesome. And I love him. I just, I don't know. It, it definitely, it'll be weird if in a couple of years, Evan Mobley <laughs> doesn't put together anything beyond the kind of mid range, interestingness. Uh, right. And we still are feeling like we're lacking. Right. It'll feel like it was a mistake to keep him over Allen, probably. For sure. And I think another p spot for him is like, we always keep waiting for him to put on muscle, right? Well, Jared Allen's a shit brick house. The dude's fucking ripped. 
right? It's like, we don't have to wait for him to grow his body. He's already there. Right. With Mobley, we're like, oh, just give him a year or two more so then when he's inside, he can finish with more physicality. So we're just supposed to wait two years when we have a guy on the roster doing what we want for Mobley better than he can do right, it? Right, right. And in two years, he still needs to have the fire to want to go and get those buckets, <laughs> which is something that we yeah. kind of don't really see from him consistently enough. Right. We've seen incremental improvements. Like this year, he did took a big jump in free throw percentage, which is great. Mm-hmm. As long as those two seven-footers are on the roster at the same time, there will be confusion, and I will be I will be disappointed in one or the other of them. That's just how it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so interesting to think Mitchell and Allen are the ones leading this crew, and they're the ones who me and you have been pretty cons- – I mean, I've been pretty consistent on get these guys out of here. Everybody's kind yeah. of started to turn on Donovan Mitchell. Um and like they just feel like he's out the door and there's nothing anybody can do about it right and at the same time everyone's turned on him he's led a ridiculous charge for the Cavs where they're just beating the snot out of everyone he looks better than he did when Garland and Mobley were out there 100% and the body language is so different too like they look like they're having fun they looked like the Kyrie Celtics at the beginning of the season where they knew Kyrie was leaving and it disgusted me I stopped watching games because I was like what the fuck am I watching yeah um, enough about my team really quickly. One last one that I just want to shout out before we get out of here, the nets. I think they should be sellers and I don't think they're going to be. I think Mikhail Bridges is just a guy. I think Nick Claxton is just a guy. Dorian Finney Smith, just a guy. Cameron Johnson, just a guy. This is like the team of mid, like all of these players are just exactly C pluses or B minuses. And no one's ever going to reach a, a level higher than that. I think they should clean house because I think there are teams that would pay a lot of money for a guy like Nick Claxton or Mikhail Bridges. Do you think kind of everybody's caught up to the fact that Mikhail Bridges is just a dude? Or do you think maybe if you acted quick enough, you could get pretty good value out of him? I think of a team that already had an established star traded for Mikhail Bridges, you could still get value. If you're like, if you're a team looking for a number one guy, that's, I mean, this isn't your answer. Mikhail Bridges is not that guy. But if you're like the Warriors and you got Mikhail, you'd probably be pretty happy instead of Andrew Wiggins, right? Yeah. Yeah, I so mean, I it, had massive expectations. I think, you know, I, I wish I could go did. back and see what the odds were for Mikael Bridges winning most improved player of the year. Yeah. Um, after what we saw from him the second half of last season, it just felt like a shoe-in. But he comes in right. this year, 21 points a game, 45% from the field, nothing that blows you away. I don't know that he's had more than two games this year that have been, you know, excellent games. The other yeah. 38 have just been whatever. Um you're right, man. As like a second or third option, he's unmatched. But if you're making him the best guy on your team, you're you're aiming for too much. You're hoping for too much. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think they need to start selling some pieces because the team's not going anywhere and they're the tenth seed in the East and I just the team's boring as fuck too. I haven't like would you ever tune into a Nets game on purpose? No, man. No, man. They're not a fun game to watch, fun team to watch. They're not a fun team to bet on. Um there's nothing interesting going on there. So that's kind of what I wanted to close with. I don't know if you have anything else for a team that you think needs to make a move that hasn't. Uh, I just real quick, just off the top of my head, the Cavs seem like a good landing spot for Mikael Bridges. One of those guards, they one do. of those seven footers and Mikael Bridges, that's a hell of a team. I agree completely. It's unfortunate that it won't happen. Right. It's really, and it's funny because you can see Donovan Mitchell definitely going to the Nets and then that team becoming like a legitimate good playoff team yeah. with 
you know, what they have on that roster already surrounding him, like Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, and Nick Claxton surrounding Mitchell, that's like, that's a legit playoff roster. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see, I don't see it happening. So it really is, I, I'm very nervous. I mean, Darius Garland's getting shots up at practice again. Like there's a slow, gradual progression happening. I don't know. We'll see, man. At least the vibes are great. You know, it would be worse if they were coming back to a team that isn't on, like, what, a five-game win streak where they're just beating the hell out of teams, six-game win streak. Um, They're coming into a a very, very high-spirited team. They've won 11 out of their last 14. Damn. It's like, without two of your four best players, you instantly get better to the point where you're fucking dick-smacking the entire league. Like, that is so uncommon and unusual. Yeah. Uh, like that's why I'm so upset at Kobe Altman. Like, brother, the signs are screaming at you, and he just doesn't care. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, man. I mean, I think that's gonna do it for me in terms of trades. You got any other potential trades? That is all it for me, sir. All right. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We'll catch you all later. Peace out. Peace.